This morning as we begin our study in the book of Acts, I want to I begin by asking the question, what, it, what is the difference in a good church and a great church? What is the difference in a good church and a great church? Now, there are many churches all across our end of the world. There are many, many churches uh, just here in our little old town. There's a whole bunch of churches. What is the difference in a good church and a great church? Now, let me, let me start off by saying I want to belong. I want to be a part of a great church, not just any church, not just a normal church, but I want to be in, I want to be part of, I want to invest in, I want to raise a family in a great church. And so if you are in the process of deciding that, if you're ever having to weigh that out, what is the difference in a good church and a great church? Now, there are many things that you could evaluate. Maybe it would be the church's size. Maybe it would be the attendance. Maybe the location. Maybe it would be the, the music in the church. Or maybe the, the people in the church or the, the programs, the offerings through the church. What is it that makes a great church? Well, here's what I believe. I believe it is a wholehearted, unashamed, diligent, deliberate commitment to the Word of God. I believe it is a total, radical, unrelenting commitment to the Word of God that makes a church great. Now, listen, I'm not talking about a false church. A false church is not a church. But I'm talking about churches that are either minimally uh, minimally involved in the Word of God, or a church that majors in the Word of God. And what I mean by that is in, in the activities of the church, I want to hear the Word of God. I want to study the Word of God. When we sing, I want to sing the Word of God. And I want it to dominate all the things that we'll do with our kids. I want it to, to dominate all the things that we'll do with our youth. And every single aspect of the church's life should be built on, grounded in the Word of God. Now, let me tell you why. The reason why is because you can get everything anywhere else. You see, we're not competing with the world with all those things. And if we're looking for entertainment, I want to tell you most likely the world can entertain us to a better extent. If we're looking for social programs or social interaction, we can find that, I'm sure, in the world to a better extent. But the Bible tells us the church is to be the place and the people of the Word of God. And see, the world can't touch that. The world can't compete with that. The church is to be the people. We are to be the people of the Word of God. Well, we're going to see that today in our verses. We're just going to look at a few verses uh, wrapping up the 11th chapter, but we're going to see that today played out in our verses. Our message is entitled, The Main Thing. We're in Acts chapter 11. We're going to actually finish the chapter, verses 25 through 30. Acts chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. I'm going to ask if you if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, God's Word says this. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. 
and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, this time, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for a powerful God, a gracious God, a God that is considered and kind and merciful to us as sinners. Lord, I'm thankful for the, the church that you bless us with, the, the grace that you show us, the, the kindness that you show us in the creation of the church. Lord, I'm thankful for the word of God that is the, the foundation, the place that we stand upon as believers. Now, I'm thankful that you speak, that it's living, that it's active, that it's your word. And I pray, Lord, that we're shaped by it. I pray as, we, as we've assembled today, I'm thankful for each person here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come together and to sing the, the praises of Jesus. And Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would convict us, that you would shape us, that you would instruct us. And I pray that this hour would, would truly be a supernatural event. And I pray that we would, we would leave here knowing that it was. We would leave here and our hearts and our minds would ponder this truth and we would live it out to the glory of God. Lord, I pray that if there are, are, are maybe some here, maybe even many here that do not know you, I pray that today in the preaching of the gospel, the hearing of your goodness and your grace, and forgiveness through Jesus, I pray that today might be the day of somebody's salvation. Lord, again, we give this to you and we submit it to you as an act of worship. We ask that you take it, you bless it, and you multiply it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we begin today, remember we are working through a, a progression of the history of the formation of the church, the, the acts of the apostles, the founding of the church. We are moving through a historical account, the progression of the formation of the church. Now, remember as we kind of skim over it uh, to set our context, uh, the church has been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. They've been given the mission to be testifiers to Jesus Christ. Um, persecution has broken out against them in Jerusalem. And because of that, the gospel has been pushed out. The gospel has spread because of the persecution that was happening, happening locally. Uh, last week in our, in our study, in our verses, we see that some Jewish believers, my, the Bible says men from Cyprus, and Cyrene had made their way to Antioch. Now, remember, uh, because of this persecution, they are pushed out. Well, these men had made their way to the city of Antioch. Uh, Antioch is a large city, over a half million people, uh, perhaps as many as 800,000 people at the time of this writing. Uh, it is a um, rich city. It is a prosperous city. There is trade uh, that goes on in that city. It is also a pagan city. Uh, more than that, it is a wicked, very immoral city. In fact, they were known for that. And, and uh, writings outside of the Bible from that period will talk about the wickedness 
the immorality of Antioch. And so they are known for that. Well, these men from Cyprus and from Cyrene, knowing what they have in Christ and seeing the lostness and the plight of those lost folks in Antioch apart from Christ, verse 20 tells us they preach the Lord Jesus. Now, I think that is a tremendous thing. They know what they have in Jesus Christ. They know their lost condition outside of Jesus Christ. And so they go to this city, an unlikely city, and they begin to preach the Lord Jesus. They proclaim salvation and the forgiveness of sin in the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus. They preach the gospel to the city. They preach Jesus to the city. Again today, be very sure as we, as we continue moving through this, be very clear today, the church exists to lead people to Jesus. We are to grow as disciples that we might re- reproduce other disciples. The church exists to lead people to Jesus. There's not 10 reasons for the church. Uh, we exist to lead people to Jesus Christ by proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I talked about it last week. There's a whole lot of churches today that have gotten off track taking up other missions, other causes than the mission that we have as the church. We exist to lead people to the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, these guys, they go and they preach Jesus. And the Bible reports that considerable numbers are saved. In this unlikely place, the Bible says great numbers, multitudes are saved. Now let me say this as we continue to move. Be also sure that only happens when we preach Jesus. We can do all these other things, but this only happens. Folks only get saved when we proclaim the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, when we teach that Jesus is the remedy for sin, that only happens when we preach Jesus. That is the formula. Listen, people are saved when we proclaim Jesus. And I believe it's in that proportion. The the proportion that we preach Jesus, that is the proportion that we will see people saved. That is the formula. They preach Jesus and multitudes are saved. Now back to the account. Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem. They hear what is going on up there, and they send Barnabas to check it out. Well, the Bible says he sees what is happening. He sees the movement of God. He sees that folks are being saved, and he rejoices. He literally is overflowing with joy, and he encourages them. He encourages those new believers. He encourages those that are preaching the word of God. He goes and he encourages them to stay with it. It is an awesome thing. It is an awesome time there in Antioch. Folks, we ought to be very sure of this as well. There is nothing better than being where God is working. Have you ever noticed that? There is nothing better on earth than being where God 
is working. Well, guess what? They are in Antioch, and the gospel is going out, and people are being saved, and it is a movement of God, and Barnabas is there, and he is rejoicing. There's nothing better than being where God is working. All right, that brings us up to our verses today. Starting in verse 25, we're going to finish out the chapter. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. The Bible says Barnabas, he is rejoicing, he has been encouraging. Now he leaves for Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, Saul, the last time we know of him, he is in Jerusalem and they begin seeking to kill him. He is under the threat of death. The Bible says they're seeking his life. And so the, the disciples there send him out to Tarsus. That's the last we hear of Saul. Well, at this point, several years have passed. And if you put together the, the, the timeline of, of, of Saul of Paul's life, it could be as many as 10 years have passed. But some years have passed. In Philippians chapter 3, it tells us that in this time, he had been disinherited. He had been disowned. He had lost his status. And so during this time, because of his stance for Christ, he has been disinherited. He has been disowned. Uh, in the letter to the Corinthians, the, the, the first letter, it says that he is suffering. He has suffered. And part of the suffering described in those two letters happens in these years. In the book of Galatians, it says during this time that he has continued telling people the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. So he is gone, and he goes to find him, to look for him in Tarsus. Now, the word for looked in the Greek is an interesting word. It means to labor in the search. It doesn't say, well, we know he's at Tarsus. We'll go see if we can get him there. It is to labor in the search. It literally translates to seek up and down, to seek up and down. And so he goes looking for Saul, and he can't just go and say, here's where he's at. He has to look up and down. He has to actively search. Another translation says to hunt for Saul. That means he actually had to go. We don't know what Saul's doing. He's preaching the gospel, and he has to be found, and he has to be searched for. And so Barnabas goes, and he diligently looks for Saul. Now see this. Saul had been faithful, and that is why he suffered. That's why he's been disowned. Saul was about to be useful. Now, he, he can't, and really nobody can imagine what's about to explode. And this great movement of Christ is about to take off there out of Antioch. Really, the spread of the gospel to the whole known world is about to take place there out of Antioch. He has been faithful. He's about to be useful and God knew where Saul was at. Huh. God knew where Saul was at. Now, I, I have to sit there and look at that account. Notice here, Barnabas doesn't go back to Jerusalem and say, there's a great movement of God. What are we going to do about it? Who's going to help us? He doesn't go and find Peter and say, Peter, we've got to get back up, up to Antioch. He doesn't go looking for Andrew. Barnabas, remember the Bible says, led by the Holy Spirit, a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God, he goes and he goes searching for Saul. Folks, God knew where he was at. 
Let me tell you this. Oh, to be so obedient, to be so prepared, to be so ready that when God's ready to do something mighty, that he says, go and get them. What a a testimony. And I think about him and I think about us today. To be so committed, to be so prepared, to be so obedient that when God says, you know what, I'm about to do something tremendous, it's going to be exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think, it's going to be amazing, the gospel is going to spread. How would you like to have been so ready, so prepared that God says, go and get them? Now I thought about the flip side of that. What if, what if he goes and he finds Saul, and Saul says, you know what, I've just got to level with you. I was excited at first. Oh, I was excited at first. What a tremendous thing it was to meet Jesus on that road. But you know what, it's been so long, I've gotten busy. What if he said, you know what, I was growing. I was growing and God was teaching me and I was growing in his truth, but I got distracted. This happened and this happened. And let me tell you the things that have gone on. I I got distracted. I was growing, but I got distracted. What if he said, you know what? It really took too long. Ten years is a long time. Barnabas, where have y'all been? It's been a long time. You know what? During those years, the cost was too high. Haven't you heard? I've lost everything in these years. I don't want to pay that cost. No, God knows he is obedient and he's prepared and he's ready And so Barnabas goes and gets Saul. Verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now listen, that is is one thought. That is one thing for us to think about. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, we're going to pull a whole bunch out of this 26th verse. This is a loaded verse for us to look at. First, see this. Here is this movement at Antioch. In this city, in this wicked city, people are hearing of Jesus They are being saved. And the Bible says, in fact, multitudes, a great number, they are being saved. And so the first thing they do is go get Saul. Now Saul, later he'll be Paul, but this time Saul is an apostle. And understand, in in God's plan, the apostles were given the special calling of speaking the word of God. That's what they did. They had the special calling from God to speak the word of God. Now, they had the ability to do signs and wonders to confirm their preaching of the word of God, but their primary purpose was they spoke the word of God. Our New Testament comes from the apostles. And so so see this today. The foundation of the church was the word of God. The foundation of the church was the word of God. Now, they had been saved in the hearing of the gospel, but that wasn't the end. Now, after that, notice this, it is then that they are taught 
the Word of God. Sometimes we act like, well, they got saved. Well, they made a decision. That's the goal line. That's the end of the thing. No, after they're saved, putting their faith in Jesus, it is then that they began the teaching of the Word of God. Today, I want you to hear me. Be very sure. Our foundation, our basis, our truth, our bedrock in the church is the Word of God. That is the truth that we uphold. That is the doctrine that we cherish. This is the message that we proclaim as truth. The foundation of the church is the Word of God. Let me just tell you something. If you ever come in here, and I'll just tell you, if you go anywhere, and if the teaching is anything but the Word of God, hey, it may be helpful. Hey, it may be good information, but it's not God's plan. We stand and proclaim and teach in the church the Word of God. The church is centered on and standing on the very Word of God alone. Doesn't it sound like we say that a lot? Doesn't that sound like a drum we always keep hitting? You know, I, I get it. I've heard that. I've heard that. Listen, you can go to whole churches now. In fact, I'll tell you, whole denominations now, and they're preaching and they're proclaiming and they're doing and they're going, and you'll look and you'll search and you'll find everything but the Word of God. The foundation in the church is the Word of God. Next, notice this. All this coming out of this one little old verse. For an entire year, the Bible says they met with the church. The word for met means gathered. Here's a simple translation. They got together with the church. Do you see what happened here? They printed material and sent it out. Said, read this, call me later. They made videos and said, watch this at your house. Drink pumpkin spice while you do it. Guess what that's not? That's not the church. Now listen, Bible study is good in all forms and formats. Studying the Bible is a good thing. But I want to tell you what the church does. The church assembles. The church gets together. And it says here in this pagan lost city, they got together for the teaching of the word of God. They had one purpose when they got together. It was the hearing and the learning of the Word of God. The next thing to notice out of that is this. The Word of God, now we, we need to be sure of this, takes time, takes investment, takes effort to impart and to receive. Did you get that? Hey, I, I went for three weeks. Hey, remember when I was faithful in the fall? Ooh, that women's conference. My whole life changed with that. It takes effort. It takes time to impart and to receive the Word of God. Now, I wish it was, was going to be faster, but that's, that's the truth. And so we see here in this account, it was a considerable effort. And here's what the Bible says happens there in Antioch. Over and over and over and over for the period of an entire year. Notice I didn't say that. It says an entire year showing the duration of time. Over and over and over. It says Paul and Barnabas. Notice it says they taught 
the church. It was a, it was a huge effort. It was a huge undertaking, not for them just to preach it, but for somebody to come and to digest it. Over and over and over, they consistently taught the Word of God in this new church. Friends, get this. To build a foundation, to possess a foundation of the Word of God does not happen in a seminar. does not happen in a weekend conference. It doesn't even happen in a short period of time. It takes consistency and it takes time. Let me, let me tell you something. And I, I'm just going to let my guard down and tell you this. One of the saddest things of being a preacher, and, and you say, well, look at how many funerals you do a year and how many times you deal with grieving families and the hard things you walk through. But I'll, I'll just tell you, those are, those are tough days. They're tough. But one of the saddest things, if not the saddest thing as a preacher, is to stack the foundation of the truth. To stack the truth, listen, based on the Word of God, empowered by God himself and led by God. Now, that's what happens when a God-called preacher preaches. Empowered by God, speaking the Word of God, the saddest thing is to stack the truth that's going to be needed. To, to stack the truth that's going to build great faith. Oh, that we would have faith like that. The truth that would build great faith. To stack the truth that would encourage when days are hard. To stack the truth that would make us bold when we're going to have to step out. To stack the truth that would give comfort and peace. The peace that the world can't even give. To stack the truth, listen, that would build the next generation, that would equip them to stand when the devil comes from them, when the world comes from them, to build a generation that can stand, to bless homes and to bless marriages and to bless people. The saddest thing is to stack the foundation and for people to miss it for any reason. I don't know what other guys are doing. I'll tell you this. Ten and a half years, I've never repeated a message. <laughs> Seven of them, we went through Luke. You ever notice we, we preach something, we're not coming back? And we preach this subject, we're not coming back? And maybe this week it's about your marriage. We're not coming back. And maybe this week it's about your kids. Maybe this, this week it's about our Savior Jesus and how tremendous he is. And maybe it's in, in Luke chapter 11, we hear about the sparrows. Or maybe it's going back to Anna and, and, and Simeon there in the temple. You know what? We're not going back. And when you miss it, guess what? You've missed it. We're not coming back. We've missed it. And the foundation was there. And there'll be a day that you'll say, oh, that I would have that truth. But you missed it. You missed it. They gathered and they gathered and they gathered in the church. Can you imagine, I thought about this, Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Can you imagine Paul and Barnabas teaching the Word of God for a year in your town? Can you imagine being in your town and Paul and Barnabas are saying, you know what, we're going to teach about, we're going to teach, we're going to teach 
the word of God in your town and to have been found doing anything else? Can you imagine two years later when they said, remember when Paul, Saul, and Barnabas were here? I, I missed that. I, I had some stuff to do that, that during those days. Let me tell you this. Folks, this is still the word of God. In fact, these are still their words. And it still matters. And it takes consistency and it takes effort. All right, let me show you something else in verse 26. And it all ties together. But at the end of verse 26, it says this. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let me, let me break down that word Christians. Now, the, the root word is Christos, Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah. The ending, Christian, the ending means to belong to or to be of the party of. And so the word meant to belong to the Christ, to belong to the Messiah, to be of the party of the Christ. Now, I want you to see this. The Jews did not call them this. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. So the Jews didn't say those Christians up there in Antioch, the Jews didn't call them this. I want you to see this. The believers did not call themselves this. Read the scripture. This is only used three times. They called each other brothers. They called each other disciples. That's what it says here. They called each other believers. This was not a name that the, the followers of Christ said, we are Christians. No, this was the lost watching world that saw when they observed them that they are of the Christ, that they belong to the party of the Messiah. This is a lost city, a pagan city, a city that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know God. And they say when we watch these people, we see that they belong to the party of Christ. Now what that means is this, they could see a difference in them. They were able to make a distinction in them. Now I want you to see this. This is why it's in verse 26. They could see a distinction in them so much that they gave them their own name. And what made the difference was their faith in Jesus, yes. But what made the difference was their constant consumption of the word of God. Do you see what's happened here? They put their faith in Jesus and they con consistently taught the word of God and they consistently received the word of God and that went on and on and on and they did it for over a year and that's where the world says you don't look like us. Do you see what made the difference? It was the consistent consumption of the Word of God. It was after hearing the Word of God and studying the Word of God and thinking about the Word of God and gathering to do it again and gathering to do it again that the world said there's something distinctively different about those folks. They belong to the party of Christ. Get this. You will not grow as a disciple of Jesus apart from the consistent consumption of the Word of God. 
Well, isn't there a shortcut? Aren't there cliff notes? Can't the Holy Spirit speed that up for me a little bit? I came and I got emotional that day. Listen to me. You will not grow. Oh, I'd like to be a disciple. Oh, I'd like to have a faith like that. Oh, I'd like to know all those things. You will not grow as a disciple of Jesus apart from the consistent consumption of the Word of God. And I'll just add this to it. And the extent of your growth as a disciple of Jesus will be directly proportionate to the extent of your consumption of the Word of God. You want to grow as a disciple, you have to spend time in God's Word. You want to speed that up, you need to spend more time in God's Word. And the amount of time that you spend consuming, taking in the Word of God will proportionally propel you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then let me just tell you this. And as you grow as a disciple, you will become distinctively different from the world around us. Let me just tell you something about 2020. You want to know why the church today looks like the world? You want to know why the world is so appealing to us in the church? We sit here in the church with our eyes looking at it and say, that looks like fun. That looks like fun. You want to know why the world has a hard time distinguishing us as believers today? It's because we're not consuming in inordinate amounts the Word of God. You want to know why our faith is small in these days? You want to know why it's so easy to compromise in these days? You want to know why it's so easy to get lost and off track? It's because we're not inordinately consuming the Word of God. Can you imagine, can you imagine what they taught them? Now listen, these aren't Jewish folks, most of them. They, they don't know the Old Testament scriptures. They have, they have no background in the Old Testament scriptures. Can you imagine what they taught them? In the beginning, creation. And on the seventh day, can you imagine what they taught them? promise made to Abraham that you will become a great nation. As far as the, the sands on the seashore multiplied, so will your descendants be and all the nations will be blessed through your descendant. Can you imagine what they taught him? The significance of the Lamb of God. Look for a Lamb. Your hope is in the Lamb. Can you imagine what they taught them? The, the significance of, of the sacrificial system. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Can you imagine what they explained to him? Can you, can you imagine when they told him what the law was about? These are the laws came down from Moses and the, the mountain was shaking and thundering. Can you imagine what, he, what they told him what the law, purpose of the law was? Can you imagine when they said, this is why Jesus had to be a man, a kinsman redeemer. This is why he had to be God, able to save. This is why a virgin birth it took place. This is why it mattered. Can you imagine as Paul explained that? Can you imagine when they started to say, this is why it happened in Bethlehem? There in the city of his fathers, this is why it happened there. And from there he starts to tell of all the prophecies that have unfolded, all the prophecies that have, that have taken place in Jesus. He says, this is how you become a believer. This is how we live as believers. This is what we're waiting on as believers. Can you imagine how awesome it was what Paul saw and Barnabas taught him? Trick question. Did you know we have the same thing? 
That was a setup. Do you know we have the same thing? In the beginning, look for the Lamb. The prophecies fulfilled in Christ. How to be saved. How to live as a believer. What's coming as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you know we have the same thing? Friends, I want to tell you this. Satan's plan has always been to take from us the word of God. Go all the way back to the garden. And he hasn't slowed down his efforts since then. His plan has always been to take from us the word of God. First, he wants to make us doubt it. I don't know that we can believe this. It sure seems far-fetched. Then he wants us to get too busy. You know what? I'm so busy, I've got a, a period of my life I can't spend time there. Maybe he wants it to be too convicting. I don't want to hear that. Something better somewhere else. And his goal has always been to take from us the word of God. And some crazy reason we buy into it. How can we be apathetic over the study of the word of God? It's the same thing Saul taught. Let me tell you something. In the church, our goal is that we would be committed, resolute, and serious about the teaching of the word of God. I'm about to get done, but let me just say this. We have to be. Did you know in 2020, we have to be. In these days, we have to be. Did you know 85%, and this has got some lag to it. It's not even current. 85% of the kids that grow up in our churches walk away from their faith by the age of 25. You know why? Because it wasn't a foundation that would stand. Listen, 85% of the kids growing up in the churches today are walking off from their faith and they're going to lead homes and they're going to participate in marriages and they're going to vote in the voting booths and they're going to lead a nation and they have no concept of the truth of the word of God. We have to be, we have to be diligent, committed to the word of God. Disciples are made in the consistent consumption of the word of God. All right, let me go on. Verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. It's finishing up the chapter. I'm going to walk you through it. Some prophets, those that had the ability to prophesy, confirming the message of the gospel, they came down to Antioch. And the reason it says down, it's actually north. I read that and they go, that's kind of weird. Uh, it's actually a drop in elevation. So you go up to Jerusalem, you go down out of Jerusalem. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. You go back and read the history, there is a drought, and it was, it was vast, and it lasted for several years. He came, and he said that God had told him, prophesied that there would be a, a drought all over the world. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So we see the church there. We're concerned about our Christian brothers there in Jerusalem, there in Judea. And so we know a drought is coming, and we sacrificially give to help them in their need. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. The leaders of the church, when they go, they take that with them. Here's the point to today's message. Today, listen, we have to get serious about the Word of God. 
We have to be serious about the input of the Word of God. We have to be serious about the study of the Word of God. We have to evaluate what we're going to do as believers and as a church according to the standard of the Word of God. That's not to beat us up. Sometimes I, I, I start a conversation and folks say, well, here we go with the Bible. Here we go with the Bible. That's not to embarrass us. That's not to beat us up. Listen, it is God's grace and God's blessing that we would get serious about the Word of God. We have to be serious, committed to the Word of God. And then let me just bring it down to, to point one, and that is this. Why? Why? It is because it is the story of a, of a Savior, the relief for sinners. It is the story of God's plan that unfolds, that he doesn't write us off, he doesn't put us in a trash heap, but that he loves us. And he loves us so much that he sends his only begotten son. And this tells them the, the origin of Christ, tells us the significance of Christ. It is the story of our redemption, our Savior, Jesus. And you say, well, I don't know if I need to know all that. Listen, in a world that's going to spit out Jesus, a world that's going to attack Jesus, that's going to deny Jesus, this is the story of our Savior, Jesus. Genesis to Revelation, this is the story of Jesus. We can know him. We can grow in him. Our faith can grow. Our, our, our trust can grow. This is the story of Jesus. Maybe you're here today, listen, and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, that's a whole lot of words just to get to this point. We have hope in Jesus. We have peace and the forgiveness for sin in Jesus. And maybe you're here and you've never trusted him. Maybe you've heard this a million times so much that it's become numb to you. Maybe you've never heard it at all. But I want to tell you, there's hope and there's peace and there's meaning and there's purpose and there's salvation in Jesus. The Bible says he never sinned. He is the perfect Lamb of God. He takes our sin. He bears it to the cross of Calvary. He takes God's wrath towards sin poured out on him. They take him off of that, that cross and they put him in a grave. He is dead. He has died, paying the penalty. Three days later, the good news of the gospel, what, what Paul preached, what Saul preached, what Barnabas rejoiced over is three days later, he walks out of that grave and he is alive and he's victorious and he's defeated death and he's paid the price for sin and he stands as the risen lamb, the reigning king. And the Bible says, listen, not of any work that any of us might do, not of anything that we would take up, not a, not a thing that we would memorize, but by faith in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. Listen, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, settle that today. Do that today. If you need more information, you come. Let's talk it over. Let's get to that conclusion. Let's settle that today. There is hope in Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for your truth, and Lord, I'm thankful for your word because it points me to the living word, Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Lord, it, it tells me of my Savior, my salvation. It tells me of a hope that hasn't perished, that is not extinguished. And so I'm thankful for the word of God and I'm thankful for the savior of that word, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we'll be a church resolute. I pray that we'll be a church consistent and careful in the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. I pray that we would send out a generation of kids that became youth, that became adults and their foundation stands and it holds because it's the word of God. Help us in that, Lord. Lord, I pray for some here that do not know you. 
And I pray I know, Lord, the reason that Satan has tried to snatch away your words because he's trying to hide Jesus. I pray that on this very day that they would have heard and found their Savior, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that the, the hindrance would be removed. And today, they might decide for you. They might put their trust in you. Lord, I ask that you move in our midst. Pray that you've spoken. Pray that you continue to speak. And I pray as we conclude this service, you move, that you have your way, and that you're honored in it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.